Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you, and Merry Christmas. Today, Christians, we read this great story from the Gospel of Luke, the well-known story of Christmas There's a problem, you know, with approaching this narrative, that it becomes bland through over-familiarity. We hear the first few lines of it and we say, oh yeah, that's the Christmas story, I know how that goes. Or what's even worse, it becomes banal through sentimentalizing. Oh, that's that charming story that we tell our kids. Can I say this? The Christmas story is anything but bland, banal, sentimental. In fact, I'm with C.S. Lewis in saying the Christmas story is subversive. In that, it sums up the whole of the Christian message. Look, the sinful world is a world gone wrong. We tend to value the very things we shouldn't value. We disvalue the things that we ought to value. In sin, the world is turned upside down. When Jesus comes, God's own word in human flesh, when Jesus comes, he is the turning right of an upside-down world. Therefore, everything he does, everything he says, is subversive. Of course, at the very heart of our faith is the great icon of Jesus, crucified. Would you ever dream of telling a kid, now, that's your goal in life, is to end up despised, condemned, killed, hanging on a cross between two thieves. Well, no, that would be the diametric opposite of what we would think of as the good life. It all begins here. It begins today. The Christmas stories are, in their own way, every bit as subversive as the story of the cross. They turn the world upside down. Let me illustrate this now by reading to you the first couple of lines of Luke's well-known account. In those days, Caesar Augustus published a decree ordering a census of the whole world. This first census took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, this story begins, as almost all stories, narratives, poems in the ancient world began. That is to say, by invoking great figures like Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and like the greatest of them all, Caesar Augustus, emperor of Rome, whose power stretched from horizon to horizon. Sure, you tell stories about great people in the eyes of the world. Notice too, please, what Caesar Augustus is doing. Ordering a census. It's still true today, but especially in the ancient world, a census was a sign of power. I'm going to number my people so I can control them. I can tax them, I can draft them. 
A census was a sign of great earthly power. There's nothing more impressive in some ways than the way the story opens in the eyes of the world. Caesar Augustus ordering a census of the whole world. Now, here's the first subversion. Having painted that picture, Luke then says, I don't look at him. Luke tells us, the story isn't about him. You know, in the ancient world, if ordinary people found their way into stories and poems, well, they were just comic relief at best. Having mentioned Caesar Augustus, Luke now says, it's not about him. In fact, his proclamation of a census is simply an excuse. Because it gets this ordinary peasant couple from one dusty outpost of the empire to another that they might be counted. Them we look at. Them the story is about. That in itself is the first subversion. When looking for the power of God, do not look in the places the world tells you to look. To see what is of great importance, don't listen to the world. But God now is going to show us what he thinks is really important. Listen now as Luke goes on. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room at the inn. That lovely detail of there being no room at the inn. We are at the exact opposite pole from Caesar Augustus in his palace ordering a census of the world. They're coming to an inn. Now we're not talking about the Holiday Inn. We're not talking even about the Motel 6. We're talking about an inn 2,000 years ago in a dusty outpost of the empire. This would be one of the least enticing places to stay. And even there, even there, there's no room for them. Keep looking at humility, at poverty, at exclusion. That's where the power of God will be found. Luke tells us then, she gives birth to her firstborn son. Now, I'd like you to imagine something. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. Remember when you held a little child in your hand. Now, I'm not talking about a toddler. I'm not even talking about a child a year old, six months old. I'm talking about a little newborn baby that weighs six pounds or seven pounds, a baby you can easily hold in the palm of your hand. Remember, their eyes barely open. They're barely able to control their heads. Remember that when you held your son or your daughter, your grandson, granddaughter in your one hand. Is there anything that's, that's weaker, more vulnerable? That little child that Mary held in her hands, that's God. Christians, in all of that, we see the poetry of our Christian faith. Listen now. The power that made the universe, the power that fashioned the cosmos, the power that strung the stars and hung the moon, the power that brings forth all living things, the power of God, is not to be identified with Caesar Augustus, with Quirinius, with the big shots of the world. 
Rather, true power, God's power, is a power of self-emptying love. The love that is willing to become small and powerless for the sake of the other. There is the great subversion of the Christmas message. Then Luke tells us that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Great detail, isn't it? These bands of cloth, and she wraps up this little child, making him, if you will, even more powerless. Jesus here is wrapped in the swaddling clothes of our frail humanity. God wraps himself up. Listen, in all the things that frighten us, failure and sickness and broken relationships, the fear of death, all the things that frighten us, God willingly wraps himself up in those that he might accompany us in love. Our culture, especially, holds up to us the ideal of freedom. What's real power? Real power, we say, is freedom. I can do what I want. On my terms, when I want. Christians, that's the freedom of Caesar Augustus, ordering a census of the whole world. And then we see here God's freedom which is precisely a willingness to be tied to the other in love. You're not powerful when you can do whatever you want. You are powerful when you are able to bind yourself in love to another. That's a third subversion of this message. That final detail, after wrapping him in swaddling clothes, she lays him in the manger. What's a manger but the place where the animals eat? Caesar Augustus would undoubtedly clap his hands and they'd bring food to him. There's earthly power on display. You feed me. You exist for my pleasure. You exist to take care of my needs. Then there's this subversive king who lays himself out as food for the world. I'm not here to be fed. I'm here to be myself food for you. When we come forward and receive the body and blood of Christ, and we take him in, he becomes our food. This is foreshadowed here as Christ is laid in the manger to be food for the world. That's real power. Next, Luke tells us that angels appeared to shepherds. Listen. Now there were shepherds in that region living in the fields and keeping night watch over their flock. The angels appear to them and announce this good news. Let's not romanticize the shepherds. We tend to see them now as these simple bucolic figures out in the fields at night. But we're not listening then with first century ears. For people in Jesus' time, shepherds were ne'er-do-wells, the marginal, scum of the earth, people that couldn't hold down a regular job. Caesar Augustus would undoubtedly have nothing to do with a shepherd. Yet, yet, the angels of the Lord appear to them. Christians, we see something here of great power. Jesus came for us sinners. He came not to lord it over us, but he came to stand with us. Yes, 
the ne'er-do-wells of the world. Yes, the misfits of the world. And I mean all of us, because all of us are sinners. Jesus came to be with us, just as at the beginning of his public life, he stands shoulder to shoulder in the muddy waters of the Jordan with sinners. At the end of his life, nailed to the cross, he's between two thieves. That's where he belongs. The world tells us, stay away from the misfits. Distinguish yourself. Stay away from these low lives. God's subversive way is to stand with them in love. And so the angel speaks the word to the shepherds. What does he say to them? Be not afraid. When John Paul II was elected Pope in 1978, he came out in the balcony, and the first words he said were those words. Be not afraid. Christians, we live so much of our life in fear. We're afraid of so many things. Sickness, broken friendships, failure, death. We're afraid, and our fear cramps us. The great good news of Christmas is that a warrior has come who can stand with us in our fear and help us to conquer it. Now, when I say warrior, I don't mean a warrior like Caesar Augustus. I mean this strange, surprising, subversive warrior. This little child wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's the warrior who has come to do battle with the power of sin, who has come to do battle with all the things that frighten us. Because he is wrapped in the swaddling clothes of our frail humanity, we don't have to be afraid. C.S. Lewis said he came like a warrior, but he had to slip clandestinely behind enemy lines. That's why he came so silently, so unthreateningly, so quietly as a little baby. Rejoice this Christmas Day, because this warrior has come to fight on our behalf. He's come to fight for us. And Christians, have yourself today a subversive little Christmas. And God bless. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708 708- 449-6100 Catholic Cemeteries serving the Catholic community since 1837